0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week.
1: Broadcasting from the ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 694 Of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast, I'm your head number one, the Internet's Joe Patrick. And I'm not a geneticist, but I've been known to dabble with our mole man cultures now and again. I'm your head number two, my
0: name is Matt Baum, and you better believe I've been tampering with my own genes for years now in a quest to make myself a little bit taller, a baller, and perhaps to acquire a 6'4 Impaler.
1: After that, we'll set you up with our must-read picks for next week, but now we dare not defy the will of the cosmic long box as it fires out comics from the time stream prepare yourselves because it's back issue review time in the ziggurat
0: with the latest x event sins of sinister hitting the stands today well i mean for the magic of recording it today. But anyway, the CLB decided we should take a look at Mr. Sinister through the years to better understand the mysterious mutant and what makes him so damn sinister. But first, a little bit about our subject. Mr. Sinister, a.k.a. Dr. Nathaniel Essex, was created by Chris Claremont and Mark Silvestri and would make his first appearance in the pages of Uncanny X-Men 221 back in 1987, Sinister would retroactively be added into the Mutant Massacre as the Marauder's boss, who were sent to massacre the Mutant Morlocks living in the sewer tunnels of New York City. As you'll see, this wasn't the last time Sinister would be used as a plot device, and his mysterious machinations continue to this day. Joe Patrick, I'm going to give you the honor of starting us off with your first deep dive into comics featuring none other than Mr. Sinister.
1: Sinister really only means left-handed. And as a left-handed person, I kind of take offense to the usage for that word as meaning evil or underhanded.
0: Well, or it's, it's come to mean that over the backstabby. years. But back in the day, left-handed people, you know, they were burned at the stake like witches, and they should have been.
1: Yeah. But I mean, regardless, I do agree that it's fitting that as the only sinister person on the podcast that I... Uh, take the lead here. With X Factor 75, it's from 1992. It's written by Peter David with art by Larry Stroman. Here's your solicit. The diabolical Mr. Sinister recruits a cadre of evil mutants known as the Nasty Boys to execute his master plan.
0: Oh, the
1: Nasty Boys. Oh, they suck. X Factor's problems with their mysterious enemy Ricochet come to an end when X Factor and the Nasty Boys fight as Jamie Madrox goes to the Senate to confront Senator Stevens Shafran, who is secretly a ricochet in disguise. Shafran goes berserk and escapes, but is later revealed to be Mr. Sinister, Son who then a... kills the real Shafran. <laughs> That's so Mr. Sinister, by the way. I mean, it is. His, his, his reasons are his own. In the wake of Jim Lee's X-Men number 1, the rest of the X-Books went through a soft relaunch. They called it a mutant genesis back in the day. The classic X-Men gold team debuted in Uncanny X-Men under new creators. X-Force had kicked off a couple months prior and was going strong. But X-Factor got the most drastic overhaul, with new creators, new characters, and a completely different premise. Under the leadership of Agent Valerie Cooper... X-Factor was reimagined as a team of mutant operatives in the service of the U.S. government. Peter David and Larry Stroman were at the helm, and the book got a completely new lease on life with an oddball team, bizarre villains, lots of one-liners, and mind-bending artwork. This issue features the conclusion of a storyline that had been simmering since the run's first issue, which was only a few issues earlier, issue 71 with a rogue duplicate of Jamie Madrox running amok under the direction of an unknown puppet master. Spoilers, it's Mr. Sinister. Go figure. You're
0: kidding me. He never does stuff like this. I know.
1: (laughs) David wraps up the story in satisfying fashion with his trademark wit and humor while setting up new mysteries for the future. The Nasty Boys are completely ridiculous, but aside from the requisite 90s dog-slash-cat-slash-animal character, their powers are kind of interesting, actually. We say this a lot about artists, but I truly do believe that there is no middle ground when it comes to Larry Stroman. Oh, no. You either you're either on board for his particular flavor of artistic insanity or you absolutely hate it. I think he's brilliant. <laughs> Everything he puts on the page is completely bonkers, whether it's a politician giving a speech or a bunch of weird mutants fighting. X Factor 75 isn't the best place to get into David and Stroman's run on the series that just jump a few issues back. But it is a great example of Sinister's inscrutable scheming in action. I'm giving this a buy in
0: yeah, none of the comics that we're really going to talk about are a good place to jump on. We're just examining Mr. I Sinister. I mean, I
1: guess for, unca- I guess except for the last one or one of the last. Uh, couple. Uh,
0: ye- well, maybe. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute here. Sure.
1: Yeah, uh, I guess. Larry
0: Strowman. So I-, I talked a lot of smack about uh, what's his name? Uh, Peter Bogdanov who works on Superman, John, John, pardon me, John Bogdanov, who works on Superman, who also has a very hyper stylized penciling style right now. I would argue Stroman way better because his sense of style always applies. Everything he draws looks like a Larry Stroman drawing. He's never aping anyone else. He does exactly what he does. His okay, but
1: everything that also applies to John Bogdan. I disagree you just aren't because as familiar with his. There is work.
0: stuff that I looked at and said that looks really good, and then the next panel I said that looks like crap and I hate it. <laughs> Larry Stroman I think no. always looks awesome, even at his wackiest. I love his costume designs for this X Factor. I love his sinister. He's so scary looking. He's all angular, and his chest is puffed out. <laughs> his neck is too long. I love him. Oh my God, he makes it look so creepy here. Yeah, the Nasty Boys are dumb, but whatever. One thing that I think Strowman loved doing was just inventing these characters that he could draw in crazy poses and stuff. And Peter Dade was like, yeah, we'll flesh him out. Throw something in there. Let's have fun with it. This is a huge (laughs) buy it. It's a great sinister appearance. And you're going to see a pattern emerge with this character. And it's not that he's one note. It's just they use him to do a thing. And sometimes he's already done that thing and we're discovering it. And other times he's telling you, I'm about to do this thing. But it's always behind the scenes and it's always manipulating someone. And it's great. It's a huge buy. You
1: dare come after me? As if Sinister was the
0: name of a common thug you could intimidate? Well, your days as a nuisance to me are over. My first Sinister book is Uncanny X-Men number 239. It's from Marvel Comics from 1988. Written by Chris Claremont with art by Mark Silvestri. You could say Mr. Sinister was just born into the Marvel Universe about a year previous to this. Now, we're going to find out he's been around a really, really, really long time, but that comes later. Here's your setup. It's a prologue to Inferno. There's a lot going on here, but the same could be said for every Claremont X issue. We had just found out that Mr. Sinister not only created and ran the Marauders who killed the Morlocks, but they also stole Scott and Madeline's baby who is a clone of Gene? Scott is hanging with Gene. Madeline
1: is a clone of Gene, yeah, not sorry, the baby.
0: Not the baby. Well, there's all kinds of clone baby stuff later We're gonna on. We're we'll going to talk about the that baby after. later. <laughs> yeah. Scott is hanging with Gene again in the pages of X-Factor. This is really Sinister's first starring role in a storyline, as we learn that he created Madeline with the full intent of Inferno going down, which is a heck of a plan, you know? Like, I, I want to get in on this Gene pool. And I'm going to make a girl who looks just like his ex-girlfriend. He's going to fall in love with her. They're going to have a baby. Oh, and uh, the Goblin King's going to be into it. And she's going to raise hell in New York.
1: (laughs) Well, I see. Now, I got the impression that she made the deal with the Limbo Demons independently. She did. But Mr. Sinister
0: is all but saying, like, yep, all part of my plan. I did all of this. (laughs) So. I suppose. He also has baby Nathan Summers in a containment pod we make fun of claremont a lot when we revisit his old x titles but it's out of love this issue is the prologue to inferno and sinister spends most of it reminiscing about the x-men their current status quo hiding in australia claremont like many creators that would use sinister later had inserted sinister into the mutant massacre retroactively when we learn he was a marauder's boss back in issue 221 here the hunt for Madeline continues, and Claremont writes Sinister's poetic but hyper-evil dialogue just perfectly. The issue is really set up for Inferno, but it's schlocky, soap opera, late 80s X-Men at its best. You've got like Madeline it's turning all evil, and her dialogue is totally changed, and nobody seems to notice it, and Havoc's even like, yeah, we should have sex. <laughs> It's great no, she's, She wants to have sex Well yeah I mean she totally seduces him And he's like No baby I can't and She's like But you want to And he's like Yeah I do and like, <laughs> Well yeah, yeah, yeah Instantly It just rolls over I think there's a part Where Havoc is singing too He's in a He's in a banana hammock Sun tanning And he's like singing Devil uh, in no. the
1: blue dress Blue dress it, No there's
0: a radio There's a radio He's But he she comes out And there's a radio And she's because like the, She goes out She's like I heard your music It's hot <laughs> Right, like, but he, it's not
1: because he's singing. It's because he's got a radio I playing. get it, but who says that about Be, somebody's music? <laughs> well, I don't know, man. Like there are, there are people that say a lot
0: of dumb stuff in this comic. I suppose. Sylvester is amazing on art, drawing a completely evil but very sexy sinister I think this is the first time. It is probably like
1: the most handsome. Oh, yeah. The most handsome. This is also
0: Sinister at his most macho. Like later on when we get into the character. Yes, he is really macho. He'll become very androgynous. But right now, he's just big ripped up buzz cut Sinister, right? This is also the first time we see Sinister in red and black. Before this, in 221, he's got a green dot on his head and a green dot and a green like star thing on his chest. He's like black and green. So. You know, I always thought that that was a coloring error, but yeah, maybe I—I I couldn't find anything that said it was a coloring error, or they just like changed directions. But this is the first time we saw him red I mean, and black.
1: There, there were so many coloring errors. Yeah. In a- pre-computer coloring that uh, they probably wouldn't have even n- noticed or to right. mention it
0: the design of the character hasn't changed much other than throwing out his fangs that we saw in 221 and changing the shark the color teeth, scheme they slightly just fa- they're not just fangs no, they're shark teeth they were all fangs <laughs> like a row of like, <laughs> yeah. a, a row of perfectly pointed yeah shark like teeth. they were all fangs it was crazy yeah Sylvester, has some cheesecake in here, too, with Psylocke slipping out of her dumb armor, and Maddie. What the, said, the hell
1: is she wearing underneath her- <laughs> A negligee,
0: I guess. She's got to feel great under armor. <laughs> And we also had Maddie. Seducing. I'm sure, it offers a
1: lot of support during combat.
0: Yeah, we also got, saw Maddie seducing a very vulnerable and I would say questionably insane Havoc at this point. He's like he's conflicted. He's jogging sure. and he's yelling at himself. And Claremont's riding it, and he's like, "Oh, uh, I shouldn't have killed those brood. Oh, ah, uh, why do I kill anybody? This is so weird." Yeah, it's obvious that the creative team came up with much bigger plans for sinister at this point, but the brooding brilliant geneticist with no moral compass was really fully formed from the beginning. I'm, I'm giving this a buy it. This
1: is just well, yeah. like
0: sinister being sinister, you know?
1: <laughs> I mean, I like, I, I totally buy, like you say, you kept saying retroactively, but I don't think like, I think it's retroactive in the sense that we found out later, but I bet you anything that Claremont, had this plan. Oh, he may have. I'm, when I say retroactively, from the start of, I just mean there was no yeah.
0: mention and we didn't know who was in yeah, charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, later uh, on, like, like, it was me, you know.
1: Right. But, like, for me, like, Claremont was known for his, like, very long, drawn out, long, simmering with subplots. Oh, certainly. And so, like, the mutant massacre happened, like, around, what, issue 210, eleven, and then Sinister appeared. 221. A, a, little, a little less than a year later. Yeah. And so I, I guarantee you, Claremont was like, yes, and their secret boss is this guy, and he's going to become, uh, he's going to be very important to the lives of the Summers family. And he's going to, like, he had all this planned out. Uh, yeah. He he may, he probably did not foresee the, uh, Oof, you know. Good call. X-Men 210 was your prologue to I the yeah, So yeah, I remember it, because those issues were always worth more than the other ones.
0: Yeah. So about a year later, we met sinister
1: He probably did not have um (laughs) victorian cape and and chapeau wearing sinister in mind no i kind of doubt that i kind of doubt that That we're gonna get to later today but uh yeah no this is a buy it it's fun it's fun to revisit it's fun to see like claremont's plan taking shape uh his dialogue his his writing style is so (laughs) over the top yeah It, it makes me wonder sometimes
0: this is like days of our lives to be like, you got to tone this down, man. It's too much. It makes me wonder.
1: It makes me wonder why we singled him out as this, like n- nothing against the guy. He came up with a ton of great ideas. Sure. He was celebrated as this creative genius. And like, I'm reading this stuff and it's like, this is painful
0: dialog I mean this crazy. is a much longer discussion but I do think it's because nobody else was writing a soap opera for superheroes like this. Maybe
1: yes. it's a melodrama Yeah, for sure. That's it. You know. But like you know what like I don't need an extended like five page sequence about Dazzler singing a raunchy torch song version of Proud Mary. Not to mention the fact the the bar that he says to
0: the Outback or she puts Tina Turner to shame like really Skinny white bitch puts Tina Turner to shame. Also,
1: Dazzler's (laughs) Dazzler's cruising for some action, so she wanders into the bar from Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, man. I don't think so. Australia, baby. Think so. They're in the bush, Joe. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) They're in the bush. It's a bite. It's fun. What's going down, bro? Going down. Oh, yeah. Just blowing the froth off a couple. All right
0: we're getting into the shit now
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh,
0: buckle up boneheads
1: <laughs> yeah right speaking of victorian capes let's talk about the further adventures of cyclops and phoenix number one this came out in 1996 it's written by peter milligan with art by john paul leon here's your solicit the x-men members cyclops and phoenix are brought to victorian era england in the year 1859 Where the scientist Nathaniel Essex, obsessed with Darwin's theory of evolution, encounters the centuries-old mutant Apocalypse who transforms him into Mr. Sinister. Spoiler alert. Follow me to the Victorian age where gutter rats named Cootie don't have the sense to run away from nine-foot-tall monsters instead of trying to rob them at knife point. Well, you know, I mean, a mark's a mark, right? You know? I guess, yeah. <laughs> Here, the future Mister Sinister is just a mad geneticist, if that term even existed back then. Obsessed with the inevitable evolution of mankind. There's no the way analesics. they knew what
0: genes were in the
1: Victorian uh, age. I mean, I think that they, <laughs> I think that they had discover, Like, I think that they had coined the term DNA. Back no then, way. No. You no. Know, no. I think they did. I, I did. The term DNA goes way back. Regardless. Nathaniel Essex can foresee the upcoming emergence of the mutant race, but what he doesn't know is that mutants already exist. And one ancient mutant is watching his work from the shadows. The Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix was a miniseries that featured a time-tossed Scott and Jean honeymooning in the future and raising Scott's young son, who will one day become Cable. I'm not at all sure what this follow-up has to do with that story, other than further time-travel shenanigans for Scott and Jean. But this first issue is all about the secret origin of Mr. Sinister. Peter Milligan does a fantastic job establishing Essex as being one lightning storm away from being a full-blown Victor Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. Driven by intense grief to perform heretical experiments. Meanwhile, Apocalypse awakens from centuries of hibernation, eager to find partners, okay, slaves, willing to help him fulfill his vision of survival of the fittest. The art by the late John Paul Leon is absolutely incredible. The man was a tremendous talent taken far too soon. I'd never read either Cyclops and Phoenix series before this, but based on the strength of this issue, I plan on going back to check them both out. Gene Ha drew the first one. Yeah. So like, I'm definitely going to go back and, uh, and, and check those out. This gets a huge buy it. I thought it was great. I read the first one. I've never read
0: this one. And this is like a Jean-Paul Leon style that I'm not used to. It's very good. I'm just used to that more thick line black and white. Like we're gonna look at another Jean Paul Leon comic in a little bit here. And it's like, that's what I picture. I, I did not know this was him. It looks great. It's crazy. It like almost closer to like Magnola styling, you know, early yeah, Magnola, I, mean, it's, I guess. But you know, mid-90s. Yeah. Honestly, I had passed on this because I'm like, I just don't care. You told that story. I don't care. I do think. Reading this now and reading the Sinister that we get in the pages of, you know, Immortal X-Men and Sins of the Sinister, which we're going to talk about a little bit here, this very much informed that character. You can tell. Oh, it had to have. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, this is where that comes from. And they are really, really building on this stuff laid out in these stories. I very much enjoyed this, and I'm going to read it, too. I'm giving this a buy it. DNA discovered in 1869. No shit. Frederick. so, my sure, I guess. Ten years after,
1: ten yeah. years after this. Fair so. enough.
0: So, look, I'll buy that. Yes, Mister Sinister already knew. He's a super smart guy. He just wasn't telling anybody. He wanted to hog it for himself or whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean, and he also wasn't like a super. Like he wasn't like a Reed Richards or you know, he didn't have Future Tech. You know, he was just a very smart and also unscrupulous scientist sure, who sure. was willing to do whatever he wanted. Joe Patrick, we need to talk about
0: baby Nathan Summers.
1: <laughs> Don't you mean Nathan Christopher Charles Summers?
0: Oh, sorry. Uh, no, Nathan Christopher Dayspring Summers, you mean. <laughs> Nathan Christopher
1: Charles Dayspring Ascani Summers? <laughs> I believe so, yes.
0: This is Cable, number six from Marvel. The year was 1993. It's written by Fabian Nicieza with art by Dwayne Turner. I forgot about Dwayne. We'll talk about him in just a minute. Whatever happened, old Dwayne turn! I wonder. Here's your setup. God help the poor nerd that picks up this comic hoping to understand more (laughs) about Mr. Sinister's history. Or anybody's history, to be quite honest. (laughs) Nycetia's story is smack dab in the middle of some truly timey-wimey, possibly executioner tie-in stuff involving... This is... um after execution. Oh, this is right after. after. This is right Yeah, after. this is after,
1: okay. like, uh, yes. And and so this is kind of dealing with the aftermath of gotcha. the revelations in executioners.
0: Get ready for a bunch of Cable stuff involving Cable's clones. His cloned mom, his son, who may or may not be a clone from the future, who is just targeted by an assassin from the future. But that assassin decided to try and kill Cable. Because he was a clone, I guess. <laughs> also, there's some other time traveler from Cable's future who is here for reasons that luckily we can ignore for the sake of our CLB theme. God, I don't even want to get into that scummy bullshit. <laughs> what is important in this issue is Sinister shows up and tells Cable that he is the guy that cloned Madeline who had Cyclops's baby because he wanted to create Nathan Dayspring, Christopher, uh, Charles, Charles, Ascani-san, Summers, yeah. <laughs> who grows up to be Cable. When all this time, Cable thought he was a clone of Strife, who was the actual baby. So pretty easy stuff right there, right? Everybody's got it. Right? For those <laughs> of you
1: keeping track, for those of you trying to keep track, until now, Cable thought he was a clone. Yes. Turns out, surprise, he's not. Cyclops is your real dad.
0: Yeah, and it was kind of like, look, we were told that like Cable's the clone, but I think all of us were like, sure he is. <laughs> you know,
1: like, there was no, I surprise. have no, me- <laughs> you know, I, I have no memory of that. I, I don't remember Cable ever thinking he was the clone. Like, this was news to me. Yeah, I had to, like,
0: I, yeah, because I texted you last night and was like, okay, help me here because I'm forgetting did we actually think Cable was the clone? Because I felt like I never did. but
1: <laughs> So uh, just uh, this is what, and if you want to edit this for Uncle Joe's story time, that's fine. But this is what we found out last night after doing some research. During Executioner's song, which was the X-Men event in the, you know, the early 90s, 92, 93, it's very Mr. Sinister, Apocalypse, and Strife-centric. Cable is framed for the attempted murder of Professor Xavier. Turns out it was Strife wait a minute why is strife look just like cable well it turns out that one is a clone of the other and we don't know which is which that's literally how it ends like when Cy- when cable and strife disappear at the end of Executioner's song cyclops and gene are like i think one of those kids is my kid but they don't know which one is which right and i didn't remember that i thought that i thought that it was revealed that it was cable all along but no you don't find out until now and then we also
0: got tolliver who is actually tyler who is the son of cable from the future also a clone who we later find out is not actually cable's son but a clone of cable's son who died sad story jesus christ (laughs) (laughs) so just based off what joe and i just said this ought to key you in on the two main notes that I made in the cons for uh, the pros and cons section of my review. And they are, this issue is everything that is wrong with Cable. And this narration is insane. (laughs) This one is rough, and it comes from a particularly rough part of Cable's time-traveling clone storyline that we haven't had to think about for years now. And trust me, that is a good thing. The only cool part of this story is how, once again, Sinister has been retroactively deus ex machina into the plot to explain where Cable came from. He is Scott and Maddie's kid, and Strife, the star bad guy of Executioner's Song crossover, is the clone. Sinister also has some cryptic BS about Cable waking up to stop Strife, but that's for another story. They're sort of hinting that Tyler may be Strife returned. <coughs> But it turns out that's not the case. But I think they're sort I of hinting yeah, at that. Like Sinister wants Cable to kill Tyler.
1: Uh, so spoilers for issue um, eight, I think, which is part three of this shit. Um, <laughs> my, uh, that's the one I had read. Like I read that one as a kid. My cousin had it, and I was like, oh yeah, okay. What's what's going on with Cable? Oh, he's Cyclops' son. Okay, right. There's a whole thing in here. Uh, uh, there's a whole flashback in there about how, you know, the the baby Ascani took the baby to the future to try to save it from the techno organic virus. And they ended up cloning the baby because they thought, okay, well, if we clone the baby, then we'll have the healthy baby and then you'll be fine. Right. Well, no, turns out that it's not the case. And then when apocalypse came, it just so happened that like strife's womb pod thing was the one that was open. And so it was a uh, it was luck of the draw that Apocalypse ended up stealing Strife. Oh. And, okay. uh, and, then, uh, and then Cable was raised by the Ascani to become the freedom fighter.
0: And later on, this is where the prophecy comes from the Cable's supposed to be the one who kills Apocalypse.
1: You know, yes. Yeah, and so, Apocalypse yeah, took Strife
0: but, to raise him to stop Strife from yeah, killing yeah. him in the prophecy so, or whatever. Right, oh, my God. Yeah, you know, right, okay. it's a All whole right, stop. bit of nonsense. <laughs> We're here to talk about Mr. Sinister. Nicetia Sinister dialogue is not as well executed as Claremont's. It comes off a little silly at times, (laughs) like when he's screaming, like the reveal when he comes out and he's like, all right, here's the deal. The truth, the man keeps dancing around, my dear madam, is the mysterious, ever elusive Tolliver, it turns out, was none other than... One and only son of land called
1: Tyler. Like, why are you screaming? <laughs> I don't care. It's like a, it's like a Price Is Right moment. Like, a totally. down.
0: Yeah, uh, they t- like pull it. Toliver,
1: come on down. But
0: then he immediately goes, "I've startled you. My apologies. I know of you yeah,
1: both." <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's like when, uh, it's when Austin, it's like when Austin Powers first gets unfrozen and he can't control the volume of his voice. Yeah, exactly
0: right uh Dwayne Turner is terrible in the art here he's bad, not good he's no, really really good. bad. his sinister doesn't look bad but all the other characters have serious it's- anatomy issues like there's a panel of cable opening his mouth to yell and he looks like a muppet like straight up muppet mouth it's so weird yeah <laughs> While this is yet another clever way to use Sinister, having him as Maddie's clone daddy, telling Cable that he's actually the son of her and Scott, and basically saying, hey, you don't even exist without me, bro. (laughs) That's kind of fun. It may not seem like a big deal now, but at the time, we legit didn't know, I guess. Cable was still a mystery at this time, and we all suspected he was actually Scott and Maddie's kid, but it was not until this issue that you actually found out. Sinister, you did it again, you beautiful bastard. I'm giving this a (laughs) skimmit! There's just too much, too many clones, too much time travel, and man, Cable just kept doubling down on this bullshit. I think this is kind of a terrible comic. Yeah, it's literally everything that's wrong with Cable. Literally. like You could could point to this issue and say, this is everything that's wrong with Cable.
1: (laughs) Now, I will say this. Uh, I do like I do like cables time traveling origin, but the layers upon layers, it's like they were trying to out Claremont Claremont and nobody can out nobody out Claremont's Claremont. That's like what they just kept doubling down on this bullshit. Like they, they, you could have just left it at he's, Cyclops' son come back from the future. Look, right, like that's the end of it. Right,
0: which is a total no. Terminator ripoff, anyway. So it's not like they, right, they yes. found something brand like okay, and, we and get then, it.
1: But then, and then, all, <laughs> but then also, like the Freedom Fighter religion, uh, religious zealot ascani nonsense, yeah. and Tolliver and Tyler, and like, it's all so dumb. I think that as far as a key moment in the uh, development of Mister Sinister. Like this is the issue that establishes definitively: uh, Cyclops is your daddy, and I'm the reason you exist. He told us he created your mom. You're the reason I exist.
0: But there's also like with Sinister, you never know with this guy. You don't know if he's telling the truth. You don't know if he's muddling something. He will lie directly to some people to get them to do things, so they could use him like this all the time. And this is the first time we definitively heard: I created your mom. I put shit in motion to make you. You're not even around without me. Oh, by the way, you're not the clone. You're the baby. Bang. Yeah. <laughs> you
1: know? And so yeah, from, uh, from the perspective of, you know, kind of a historical significance, I'm giving it a skim it because otherwise it is not good. Oh, it's trash. <laughs> Computer, reference the X-Men. I need to know what I'm up against. They aren't the wimps I thought they were. You know, man, I cannot get enough of Nathan Christopher, Dayspring, Charles, Summers, Ascani son. Because my next review is of X-Man minus one. Another version of cable. (laughs) Another, Uh, Arguably uh, streamlined somehow. I don't know how, but it is. From Marvel, obviously, 1997 was the year. It's written by Terry Cavanaugh with art by Roger Cruz. I forgot about Roger Cruz. I love Roger Cruz. Here's your solicit flashback. Journey back to the age of apocalypse and discover the secrets behind Nate Gray's origin. How will Mr. Sinister use Scott Summers and Gene Gray to genetically engineer the world's ultimate mutant? Clues to the past of the mysterious mutant are waiting to be found here. Ah, flashback moment. A time when all of your favorite Marvel series just stopped in the middle of what they were doing to tell a story set in the past that may or may not have any lasting impact on the future. For the most part, did not. Like, I mean, yeah. Some of the issues were pretty decent, yeah. and they all they all led with a caricature of Stan Lee introducing the story like it was an episode of Spider-Man and his amazing. Friends. Yeah, so that's fun. fun. It's like gather around, true believers. Yeah, and like it's like excelsior. The, he's sitting
0: at the art desk, which is hilarious because he doesn't draw anything. All no, right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like it may as well this have him I- landing planes while he's doing
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. This issue actually does reveal something important about Nate Gray the test tube baby of Scott Summers and Jean Grey, created by Mr. Sinister in the Age of Apocalypse reality. Writer Terry Kavanaugh portrays this version of Sinister with a fatherly streak, as he almost lovingly checks on Nate's accelerated development. Of course, he then immediately blasts his way through his abandoned orphanage headquarters looking for the kid, but Poe buddy's perfect. In the end, Sinister realizes that if left unchecked, Nate's powers will grow far beyond he or his master Apocalypse could imagine, which does not jive with Sinister's plan to backstab Apocalypse, and it prompts him to encode a failsafe in Nate's DNA that will ensure that his body burns out before it reaches maturity. What a jerk! The art by Roger Cruz is fantastic. He's always been something of an artistic chameleon, adapting to match the popular style of the era, here he's right in line with the then current superstar artist of Uncanny X-Men. Oh yeah. Joe Maderera. No question. With, with his own stylistic spin on it. The result makes for a really good looking comic book. Like even it it holds up even today. I'd look at this and go, yeah, this is good. Yeah, I would argue there's aspects of this
0: style that Cruz does better than Madeira.
1: I think you're probably not wrong. Look, I've always loved X-Men even when he was just a younger version of Cable with a bad attitude and a really confusing backstory. X-Man number one, no. X-Man minus one offers an interesting alternate take on Mr. Sinister, as well as a peek into the past of a character that only guys like me and maybe Matt still care about. I'm giving it a buy. Yeah, this one is weird because I don't, I don't remember if Sinister was like this
0: in the age of Apocalypse where he was a little more fatherly almost and like caring because this is a different sinister and like and i don't like the outfit i think the the design of the outfit is the outfit's little, not good but no. that's not roger Cruz. it's not no that's not his fault but it's almost looks like he's wearing like a spider symbol or something and he doesn't have yeah it's
1: he doesn't it's have as many of as, like
0: the broken or the cape streamers or whatever he's it's not be
1: nearly one. as cool as his regular outfit
0: yeah this is a weird issue and it reminded me how weird this x-man stuff really was and I kind of want to go back and revisit it and I and I almost wonder like yeah. are we ever going to see this character again or is he just gone are we done with this
1: well i mean he
0: was in cuz like if you think about it they had a golden opportunity and i'm not going to go this deep because we're talking about sinister but they had a golden opportunity after that 12 bullshit you know with the with uh cable killing apocalypse but the prophecy says yeah, he's going to die 12. when it happens they could have killed cable right there and gotten rid of all that baggage and just rolled with this character who doesn't, who just is a character from the future created by Mr. Sinister. There you go. Bam. There you go. That's it. (laughs) They could have done it and just blank slate and rolled with it. I would have been fine with that. Don't get me wrong. I like cable and it's not cable's fault that everybody tacked so much bullshit onto it. This is just, it's a weird take on Sinister, but I do like it. And I love this Roger Cruz art. I love this nineties Roger Cruz art. He was just a little more toned down than Maduria. He didn't have to be like, well, not only does she have gigantic jugs, but she's breaking her back to stick them out. Like he drew things a little more natural <laughs> and it looked Restained, really good. Is the yeah. lure, is the now I'm giving this a buy it. I want to revisit this character. I miss x man
1: <laughs> So I, I thought that I read something about how he was still kicking around or he was back at least, but that might be wrong the last major storyline that had Nate gray was age of X-Man where he, you know, he did a, he basically did an age of apocalypse uh, on the X-Men reality or on the uh, Marvel universe. I don't remember that at but, all. But, um, oh yeah, we reviewed, we reviewed, we reviewed it on the show. Nope. It came out during our tenure here, but, um, yeah, his wikis haven't been updated. So I, I don't think, uh, I, I don't think that, uh, Okay. He's kicking around these days. That's too bad. But I, I think like I like that this Mr. Sinister is different because like this Mr. Sinister is not he's subservient. Right. To well, apocalypse. And so he's scheming. Yes. But he's like he's not just left to his own devices. He still has to. Yeah. He's got to answer someone any
0: and maybe he just has an affinity for this character because he feels he did such a good job cloning them and giving them the powers and stuff. I don't know, but regardless, it is a different take, and I still like it. It's time for the World War II section of Mr. Sinister's Life in the pages of Weapon X, Volume 2, Number 14 from Marvel. It just came out in 2003. It was written by Frank Thierry with art by John Paul Leon. Again. Hey! Here's your setup. In World War II Germany, Mr. Sinister was working in a German concentration camp called Neverland, where he was obsessively trying to create the genetic equal of Namor, the Submariner, to fight off Captain America and his invaders. We also get to see the origin of how Scalp Hunter, leader of the Marauders, came to work for Sinister. Now, we make fun of Frank Thierry quite often when looking back at his comics, but this one, I gotta say, took me by surprise. I love the idea of Sinister working with the Nazis for the access it got him to so many human subjects, but Thierry makes sure to paint him as a different kind of monster than Hitler. Like, he sees what Hitler is doing as, like, such a waste of all this potential, where why kill all these people where we could turn them into a superhuman army, (laughs) you know? It was fun to see Sinister going after Cap and the invaders for a change, and learning lessons about... How the unexpected can ruin even the best laid plans. The very clever play on Schindler's list was really well done with Sinister rescuing Jewish mutants from the camps for his own gnarly tests. <laughs> so John Paul Leon is a master, and his choice to work in black and white and red here really drives home the Mr. Sinister theme. I loved his Namor. And the fight scene with Cap and Sinister's Namor clone. Was just perfect. It ends with Sinister's awestruck white face, shocked that it was Captain America that took out his creation. Not Namor, not the human torch, but Cap. <laughs> it was really cool. For as much shit as we give Thierry, this was a very good issue and a perfect place for a character like Sinister to hide out during World War II. It is a solid origin for Scalp Hunter, also
1: complete with a cameo from Nick Fury. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, this was a pleasant surprise. And I agree. I. I I'm i not normally a fan of uh, Thierry's work. I'd never read Weapon X past a certain point because I didn't care for it. I don't think I ever As, read this
0: comic book before either.
1: So, yeah, this was kind of a re-envisioning of, of Weapon X. And it was like a team of villains. It was uh, Sabretooth and Sauron and somebody that was maverick but for some reason he had acid powers all of a sudden yeah and was i don't remember what a- agent zero um marrow i think was on the team yeah
0: anyway but they uh, did it, a lot of history of like where weapon x came from and they were yeah it,
1: it, but it wasn't like it, it wasn't for me this issue though i i loved it i thought it was absolutely outstanding the art of course does a ton of heavy lifting uh because it's hard not to enjoy a comic book that looks this good Uh, It's a buy it from me as well. Yeah, Mr. Sinister, he gets around. And yes, you make a good point. Like, Mr. Sinister is not a racist because he does not discriminate. He thinks he views human beings as cattle. Right. Like raw material for his own
0: experiment. This is going to sound weird, but like he doesn't have the moral compass to even be a racist. Right. Yeah. No, it's not that he would believe his morality is better or something like, no, you're all just genetic trash for me to mess around with
1: all of you. (laughs) You And and he also is no stranger to atrocity. Yeah. So if getting access to whatever meant working or if working with Hitler meant getting access to whatever he needed to further his own agenda, then yeah, it makes total sense that he would do it. Totally. And he loves it
0: too. Cause he's just like, these guys are so easy to work because they just, they're so obsessed. All I gotta do is play on their obsession. Like he goes to the train to get the people and they're like, no, he's like, I think there's a mistake. Those people are mine. They're like, the, the, or the Nazis don't make mistakes or whatever. And he's like, really? They don't make mistakes. That's funny. Cause uh, looking at your genetic background, you're not quite as Aryan as you uh, made
1: yourself. And the guy's like, "Sorry about that.
0: Yeah, take whatever you want. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's great. It's a great scene. Yeah. No, I I think if you're gonna do that, right? If you're gonna take a villain and and not make him just completely like twiddling mustache
0: bad guy, or, or
1: you know, it's like once you put the stink of Nazis on a on a character on on a villain, then it's hard to have it be anything but that. Yeah. It's hard to unring that bell, but with a character like Mr. Sinister, it's like, well, yeah, duh, of course he would. Of course he would work with the Nazis. Yeah, he'll work. I mean, he's worked with Apocalypse. (laughs) Right, yeah. Yes.
0: Hitler's bad, don't get me wrong, but Apocalypse. (laughs) Right. That guy's like,
1: otherworldly bad. Hey, hey, San Francisco Bay. Hey, Matt, do you remember when the X Men lived? on an island off the coast of San Francisco. That never happened. Come on, Joe. Oh, you're telling me definitely they put all happened.
0: the X-Men on one island where everybody knew they lived, and if you want to take them all out, all you have to do is hit that island? That's stupid. Not, They'd
1: never do that again. <laughs> not all of the X-Men. Oh, that's Only right. half the X-Men. That's right. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about Uncanny X-Men number one from Marvel. It's 2011, the year... It was written by Kieran Gillen with art by Carlos Pacheco. Here's your solicit. What is to become of the mutants who side with Cyclops after the big split? And what does it have to do with the resurrected Mr. Sinister? I don't know, but solicits were much more simple back in the day. They really were. Once there was a great schism in the ranks of the X-Men. Faced with the imminent threat of extinction, Cyclops had grown more militant in his methods for protecting the mutant race becoming more and more like his former nemesis, Magneto. Wolverine, of all the other characters on the team, had a problem with this, especially when it came to putting the lives of children on the line. And so, Marvel's most bankable and thus most conveniently dad-like X-Man Wolverine left the island nation of Utopia. Uh, That's a whole nother story. You can Google it if you want to. (laughs) to reopen the school for gifted youngsters in the pages of Wolverine and the X-Men. Uncanny was relaunched with a new volume featuring those that decided that Cyclops had the right idea. And so, the Uncanny X-Men remain in San Francisco, living like celebrities. Oh, and by the way, Colossus is the juggernaut now. There's a sleeping celestial parked in the middle of the city. Angel is dating the mayor. And Mr. Sinister is suddenly back from the dead. I don't even remember how or when he died. I don't either. I think he was around in that Messiah complex stuff. It must have been during that. Writer Kieran Gillen does a decent job juggling the bonkers status quo Marvel's Merry Mutants found themselves in back in 2011, which is practically nothing compared to where they are now. So, by comparison, this is simple. Strangely, they're back on an island, though. So, you know, they are on an island. Yeah, <laughs> there's that. He also basically reinvents Mr. Sinister from the ground up paving the way for the Machiavellian mustachio dandy that he is today. The late, great Carlos Pacheco is on art duties, and I just love his work. He was able to juggle huge displays of mutant power, along with smaller emotional moments that helped keep us connected to the characters. Don't
0: forget about about, uh, butt shorts. He was really good
1: at those, too. Well, you know what? Emma Frost (laughs) does what Emma Frost wants. She's she's a cheeky girl, isn't she? Butt shorts sometimes. This volume of Uncanny X-Men set the stage for a lot of things that the books still feature today. It all started right here. I'm giving it a bite. Yeah, I don't know. I mean,
0: we can't point to this and be like, yeah, this is definitely where Gillen fell in love with Mr. Sinister. But you can tell he has a lot of fun writing this character. And this well, is. Well, but I
1: mean, the, this version of, like, the version of Mr. Sinister that we have now that's, like,
0: way close. Yeah. This prancing
1: is, around Krakoa. That's this character. That is the that, closest like, we Kieran we've Gillen got to invented it. this character. Absolutely. Version. Yeah. And, and we're going to talk
0: about it in a minute here, but man, I hate bald. I hate bald Colossus so much.
1: Colossus being <laughs> the Juggernaut was very stupid. So dumb. <laughs> there was a lot that I
0: remember liking about this period, but there's a lot that. I remember hating as well. So this was a complex time for the X-Men. And I think Gillen was doing the best he could with what he had. What's important is, yes, this is definitely prototype for the sinister we love today. This is much closer to that sort of long hair, androgynous, soft-spoken, very egotistical, you know, no longer just like butch-flexing, screaming guy. (laughs) No, I'm going to give this a buy-it. I do I love, mean, and, I, I love Carlos Pacheco. This is not my favorite Carlos Pacheco
1: work, but it does look good. And The good thing is is that if you're not a super fan of this status quo, uh, this volume only lasts a year before it is relaunched again, and then the X-Men are just straight-up terrorists. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brian Michael Bendis.
0: Which brings us to today. Joe Patrick, new comic book day and Sins of Sinister. Number one, your new X event from Marvel 2023. It's 5.99. It's written by Karen Gillen with art by Lucas Wernick and about a hundred other people. Here is your solicit. It's the end of the world as we know it and at least Sinister feels fine for now. Can that last? Especially when we discover that he really is his own worst enemy. The Universe Melting X event begins here in a horror timeline that makes Age of Apocalypse look like the X-Men swimsuit special. Join Kieran Gillen as he kicks off the X-Men crossover Sinister has been planning since the very beginning. This is literally the next page of Immortal X-Men number 10, so you better be caught up. Kieran Gillen is proving to be the most devious and genius X-Rider currently, and doing it by letting Marvel's most devious and genius, Mr. Sinister, take center stage as, well, devious and genius. (laughs) This is Gillen basically telling the story of what if the guy who created QAnon was one of the smartest mutants on Earth? Joe and I both thought this was going to be a rewriting of reality. We even set up a question of the week based on that, and I guess... It is,
1: but not kind of. in the way that I thought it would turn no, out at all. <laughs> I guess, but in a way that based on the last couple issues of Immortal X-Men, we should have seen coming. Right. Well, that's just it. This is so smart because
0: we should have seen all of this coming. It's all right there on the page. Once again, Gillen proves he is smarter than us. And much like Sinister's plan, neither the reader the reader nor the X-Men saw this coming, even though there was a ton of evidence right there in our faces the whole time. I cannot go into the plot much more without spoilers. Oh, yeah, no. But that is what Cover to Cover is for. Call us this weekend. We got to talk about this, okay? Warenick is credited as the artist, and he's great, but it's hard to tell which art is his. There are 10 special guest artists and no page credits so it all kind of blurs together. And when some face work gets pretty wonky, it's hard to know who was to blame. There were panels where some characters looked just goofy in a bad way, almost like manga chibi-derpy at points. Regardless of some weird art here and there, Sins of Sinister looks to be another fantastic X event featuring Marvel's favorite egotistical plot device, Mr. Sinister, being written better than ever before i'm giving this a buy it and i'm just gonna say it no one writes mr sinister better than kieran gillen period end of line
1: yeah i agree so the guest artists, uh, i won't list the whole i won't name the whole list but uh some of them include juan H- jose rip marco Chischito, like Stefano I, caselli i looked at those names and they look at the comic i'm like i don't travel s- foreman i don't see them here uh, later on in the book, we we see a, a a series of splash pages that illustrate events that have occurred um, at some point. I won't say more about that. Right. And each issue, each splash page is done by a different artist, which is why it's so inconsistent there for a while. Yeah. But the main artist is like the sequential artist when you see the panels. That's um Werenick. W- yeah. So
0: he did the well, weird face stuff? Like there's a there's like a panel of minister sinners like <laughs> it's really weird.
1: I mean, I guess. I guess. If that's what you thought was weird then yeah. But all the pinup pages are done by the guest artists. Okay. Uh I'm also giving this a buy it. I I thought it was ingenious. You know, like Matt said, without going too much into uh, spoiler territory, we all had our money bet on Mr. Sinister is rewriting reality as we know it. It's an age of apocalypse situation and that's that. And it's not exactly. And I I just can't believe I didn't, uh, it didn't occur to
0: me. I think this also explains a lot of stuff that we have not totally enjoyed and been like, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? They're sort of explaining
1: everything. (laughs) I don't know if I want to give them that much credit, but we'll see.
0: Right. Uh, I'm not this, saying I'm not saying he was there from the beginning. I'm saying I think Gillen is smart enough to be like, maybe this is why those characters are doing that. <laughs> and they went, oh great, I hadn't written a
1: reason other than I wanted to write the story. Uh, maybe, <laughs> you know? maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, we could speculate about it on Saturday yeah, if you want to. But, definitely. Uh, this is a buy it for me. I think that this is going to be really fun. Man. and I agree. Like I, I think that Kieran Gillen is uh, an excellent steward of the X Men. Yeah in place of Jonathan Hickman. I like, I love Jerry Duggan's X-Men and you know, I I like a lot of the tie in books. I like Brian Percy, what he does, but, uh, Kieran Gillen's X-Men work right now is incredible. It's outstanding. And
0: like the, the, the through line we've had for all this sinister stuff is sinister is always a character plot device that is put here to either explain something or push things in a new direction that you did not see coming. And this is sort of, the ultimate example of what you can do with this character. and it there there's yeah. laugh out loud moments of his dialogue that are just fantastic. And, yes. like, and it's like he's so good at this. he doesn't realize what he's done. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> but I mean, when i like when I talked about, you know, the the cape and hat wearing dandy uh, uh, like of of uncanny X-Men number one, that's this guy. Totally. That's 100% this guy. Yeah, no question.
0: We have got links to more info on all these sinister comics in our show notes. But before we even mention another villain, Joe, we need to pick up our favorite comic from this pile to enter. To teach in the permanent collection, which one was your favorite Mr. Sinister appearance? Now I'm saying... Let's not count the last one we did. Let's not count Sensor Sinister. Let's look at the past yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: No, yeah, I agree. Because we
0: got to see where this one goes, right?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I think for me, it's the further adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix number one, because I liked seeing the origin of Mr. Sinister. Like, what what was he like before? Yeah, that's cool. And and we, did, we do get some of that from time to time, like in Immortal X-Men. Like, we've seen it in modern day. But this is the first time they did that. This is the first time they went back yeah. and, and like, came right out and said, This is who Mr. Sinister is. is this is where he came from. And uh, I think it was my favorite of the week.
0: I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm giving it to Frank Thierry and Weapon X, Volume 2, Number 14, because I have not been a fan of a lot of stuff he's written in the past. And it was excellent. And John, well, John Paglione, the way that he yeah. draws Sinister with the blank white face. The red diamond and the just bright red pupilless eyes is just terrifying. It's so cool. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you can't
1: go wrong picking two books, both drawn by yeah, Holly. yeah. With the Cosmic Longbox satiated, we find ourselves reconstituting in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're often carrying out some genetic experiments of our own and making our must-read picks for the next New Comic Book Wednesday. Matt, what should these listeners be picking up from the LCS next Wednesday, February 1st?
0: My pick for next week is
1: Blood Tree, number
0: one from Image. It's three ninety-nine. It's written by Peter J. Tomasi, and I don't know what the J stands for, but we haven't seen Tomasi for a little bit, right? I really like him, and I feel like he's been uh, missing for a minute. Um, right? I mean, I guess a little while. I don't know. This has art by Maxim Simic, and the art looks very good in the previews. Here is your solicit series premiere! Thank you, Image. Two obsessed NYPD detectives hunt for a vicious butcher called the Angel Killer, a sociopath who preys on the innocent family members of known murderers in order to purify the rest of society. From comic super team, Peter J. Tomasi, who worked on Batman and Robin, Superman, Black Adam, The Dark Age, Super Sons, Detective Comics, and Maxim Simic, who worked on Escape from New York, and Conan comes a story that confronts the battle of nature versus nurture considers how present and future generations are tainted by past generations and asks the age-old question, who must pay for the sins of the fathers and perhaps even the sins of the mothers? Tomasi, great writer. You got your serial killer. Mom and dad obviously made this monster. I want to see where this is going. And the art looks kick-ass. Pick this one up.
1: Oh, you know what? Tomasi was the main writer of Detective before uh, Mariko Tamaki. So he wrote, he, he went off Detective Comics in February 2021, so it has not really long. he was the on the book time. from nine ninety four through ten thirty three. So, oh, wow. OK, all right. Joe Patrick, what pick did you steal from me this week? Um, I put my pick in first. I so know, you but I to know steal... I wanted
0: this one. <laughs> mm, mm, how was I supposed to know? It's got Mad Max in the description? You tell me. I thought we were friends. OK, uh,
1: whatever. You don't th- you think you're the only one that likes Mad Max? I
0: like it more than you. Promise
1: <laughs> my pick for next week is almighty number one from image. It's three ninety nine. It's written and drawn by Edward LaRoche. Here's your solicit miniseries premiere. The warning writer and artist, Edward LaRoche returns to comics with a five issue. Epic Mad Max Fury road style action combines with the mutated horror of annihilation. See, I like annihilation. So there was something for both of us in this original sci-fi planet uh, epic not the annihilation you're readers thinking
0: of <laughs> no it's
1: the it's the novel annihilation okay, i read, okay. read the whole read the whole trilogy thank yeah. you very much yeah, i did too whatever so so the movie toes. was fine movie was fine ah, yeah, the movie was all right the year is 2098 in a third world america ravaged by economic collapse anarcho warfare and mysterious environmental disaster contained behind a massive wall a girl has been abducted and a killer has been hired to find her and bring her home. The adventure begins in a spectacular double-length first issue with 38 pages of story and no ads for the regular price of just $3.99. That's what a deal. Yeah, Image Comics. They don't mess around, man. They put comics in kids' hands, and that's important, you know? So this caught my eye because I, I I also love Mad Max Fury Road, and also I was a fan of the Annihilation books. I've, I've not heard of Edward LaRoche. I did not read the warning, but this sounded cool. And so I'm giving it a chance.
0: The TGN Trade of the Week for February 1st is Silver Surfer, the Epic Collection, the return of Thanos. Trade paperback from Marvel Comics, $44.99. Written by Steve Englehart, Jim Starlin, and various. You may have heard of all three of those guys. With art by Ron Lim and various. There they are again. Here is your solicit. Kree Scroll War 2! The Silver Surfer has been manipulated into joining the conflict between the Kree and the Skrulls, and now his homeworld of Zen La has become a target! What sacrifice must Norrin Rad make to protect his people? As the war becomes ever more complex, Shalabal learns that the one side... I can't say her name any other way! Learns that one side has a traitor in its midst. Both empires are being manipulated by outside forces, but can the Surfer discover the truth? before the bloodshed gets any worse. Then, to correct what she sees as the Great imbalance, death has resurrected Thanos of Titan, and he means to kill half of all living beings in the universe. Can the Surfer dissuade Thanos from this grim task, or will Drax the Destroyer and the Impossible Man get in the way? This collects Silver Surfer, 1987, 24 through 38, and Silver Surfer, the Enslavers. Now, you may have heard us talk about that and go, That sure sounds a lot like Avengers Endgame to me, minus the part where Death, Thanos' girlfriend, brought him back from the dead. Trust me. It's probably better they took that part out. But
1: this is where this comes from. This is exactly where it comes from. So I picked this because uh, there was a time, and it's kind of hard to believe nowadays, considering the character's importance, not just in the movies, but even in the Marvel comics for for years now, since the, since the mid nineties, Thanos has been ever present in the Marvel universe. But there was a time when Thanos was practically forgotten. Yeah. He had died in the pages of Avengers annual. Oh, maybe it was Marvel two in one annual Marvel two in one annual number two is when he died. And that was in the like, Early eighties, early, early, early eighties. And so he has been he had been absent from Marvel Comics for like twenty years prior yeah. to this book coming out. Yeah, it's weird, and then to Jim think Starlin that, like, Thanos just went away. Went away, yeah. yeah. And his creator, Jim Starlin, was like, you know what? I got a way. I-, I got an idea to bring that guy back. He's gonna be like the worst villain ever created. And he was. He's like literally killing people on a universal scale. And once the Infinity Gauntlet came out after uh, these issues and the Thanos quest, that character would never be forgotten again. No. And uh, yeah, so that's where this starts. It, that's uh, This is where that started in these issues of the Silver Server. Now, there's also the Enslaver's Graphic novel, which has nothing to do with that. But hey, it's yeah. in the book. Yeah. Might as well read it. We got picks, sure, we always got picks, but you nerds probably have picks, too. Let us know what you plan on picking up over at our Discord in the new comics channel. And be sure to let us know if you dug our picks or if you want to send in your significant other to kill us for buying them. Excelsior! Oh,
0: that is it for THN 694. Next week, we're back to reviewing new comics, but we got some extra work for Patreon Extra. Take a look. It's in a book club returns, and we're talking about Dan McDade's Dega. Go pick it up. Spoiler alert, it's fantastic. And we'll talk about it next week. In the meantime, join us for a call-in show, THN Cover to Cover. We do it Saturdays at 1030 Central. I apologize for last Saturday, all right? But I'm a dumb old dad. This Saturday, we're doing it. And we want to talk about Sins of Sinister. Read that. We got a lot (laughs) to unpack. Okay, you guys? I'm serious here. Check out our Discord for details. Joe Patrick. What's our question of the week that we're hitting these nerds with?
1: This week's question is courtesy of us, in honor of Mr. Sinister doing whatever it is he did to the Marvel (laughs) Universe. What is your favorite example of a story where reality as the characters know it was rewritten or replaced with a brand new world? Of course, we're talking about things like Age of Apocalypse or Age of X-Men or something like that. Not just a what if, not just your favorite alternate reality, so... Your favorite time that a new reality replaced the one that you were reading. Or, you know, one you hated. That's fair, too. Yeah, sure. Please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. We like to do this as often as we can. And, uh, you know, we're too lazy to come up with questions of our own every week. So it's we need you. If you can't make it to cover to cover live, shoot an mp3 to two-edit-nerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the TKHN hotline. That number is 402 402- but if you send an mp3 or leave a message please keep it to two minutes or less
0: if you're new to the show you would rather somebody shrank down the juggernaut and fired him through your brain than listen to any more i assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough the good news is is a spoiler
1: spoiler. (laughs) you can hear the
0: entire run of thn in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com thn is a listener-supported podcast it wouldn't be possible without the generosity of donors like our patron, Ralph Belk, the three. Joe, we got another three. He's got to fight. I'm excited about it. Right? We got to have, it's got to be a, a, like a loser goes, loser leaves I, down match. I think they have to have like a <laughs> title match. Yeah. Yeah. we got a, a title a battle. Battle of the threes. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two headed nerd where we are raising money for our backyard wrestling ring. So these two bastards can go at it. Oh, it's gonna be ugly. I can't wait!
1: Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Nettie Okorafor, the first black woman to write Black Panther. Dr. Okorafor's credit was mistakenly ignored when Vibe.com bestowed the honor on upcoming Black Panther writer Eve Ewing. Come on, Vibe. Come on. Not to take it, <laughs> not to take anything away from Ms. Ewing, but let's give credit where credit is due. Word to both of you.
0: Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just slip a little something into your resurrection that you didn't know was there. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.